Welcome. You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We are continuing our study of the book of Galatians, and we are in the second half of chapter 5. When I went to Bible college back in the mid-90s, in in Lincoln, Illinois, in the the heart of, right right in the smack dab middle of Illinois, um, that was at a time, I mean, the world has changed a lot since then, and, and church has changed, and how we do church has changed. And that was certainly when... Uh, the, the big phrase was seeker sensitive. That was that was that was the talk. How do we make a church that is is good for people? Just want if if they wander and off the street, they feel comfortable. How do we church in a way that focuses on bringing in new people that don't know anything about church? Because the world has changed. Fifty years ago, hundred years ago, certainly. Uh, the church, you, you just knew that everybody went to church by and large. Most of the country went to church. You didn't have to tell people Noah was a guy in the book of Genesis that saved his family in a flood, and it's at the beginning of the Bible. Everybody knew that 100 years ago, 50 years ago. But we live in a post-Christian world. And by that, I mean that not only is most of our country not Christian, they were raised by people that weren't Christian. And so they don't know any of this. If they come to church, they don't know what we're doing. They don't know why we're singing songs. They don't know when to stand up, when to sit down. They don't know what communion is for. They don't, they don't know what an Old Testament is or a Daniel in the lion's den. They don't know, these, they don't know anything about these things. Which can be, I, I will confess, part of that is kind of fun. When, when you get to tell people these things and it's new and exciting, but the way we do church, therefore, has, has changed. And so when I was in college, there, I, I remember there was one church that was growing like a weed. Um, and I don't want to point fingers at, 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 at this church in particular, but it was held up to us as an example of what church could be, should be. Look at how successful this church is. Look at how enormous it is. I mean, they're just bringing in you know, so many people. This was a church that was certainly running in the thousands. Uh, man, if, we, if, if the rest of us look to this as a model of what the church could be, just think about how big the church could be across the country. Um, well, when I, you know, it was a few years ago. I say a few years ago, more than 10, less than 20, a few years ago, that this church brought in um, experts to evaluate how they were doing because they had kind of plateaued. They'd hit a number, and they weren't really growing past this number, although it was a big number. But they didn't understand it because new people were coming in all the time. So how are they getting that big? And these people that came in and, and evaluated the church, they said the number of people that are coming in is the same as the number of people that are leaving. Your back door is, is it, it couldn't be any wider. And the evaluation was, because it doesn't matter if you've been to this church for three weeks or three years, you're not going to learn anything new. It is so seeker-sensitive that there's nothing new to learn after a month of going to this church. The entire message is, you should accept Jesus. Done. And, and so this, credit where credit's due, this church issued an apology. 
Um, I think all the staff, if I, if I remember correctly, all the staff even offered their resignations because they had realized we have failed. You know, this, this, is a, this, is, this may be evangelism, but it's not spiritual growth. Uh, evangelism, am, am I evangelical? I am evangelical. I believe in evangelizing and in bringing the gospel to people. Churches are not meant to be evangelical. Don't get me wrong. If you come to church and you don't know who Jesus is, I hope that you hear him. But if all I'm doing is telling people accept Jesus as your Savior, there's not a lot to do here, right? Most of you have accepted Christ as your Savior. I know the congregation. I know the church. And most of us have accepted Christ as our Savior. So what's next? Is the, is, is the question. Um, our goal is to get past the message of, of Jesus saves and get to the question, now what? As the writer of Hebrews says, there's a point when we do spiritual milk and then we move up to spirit, you know, the meat of the matter, the spiritual meat. And, and the, a lot of the problems that many, most of the seeker-sensitive churches struggle with was that they never got past the milk. And they never got to the deeper subject. And, and therefore never got to spiritual maturity. And unfortunately for churches that's focused on that for so long, this is part of the reason the churches of, the, of 2023 are in the mess that we're in. I, a lot of people say, I don't want to go to church. It's full of a bunch of hypocrites. Well, I mean, where else are they supposed to go, right? We want hypocrites to come to church. But if we never get into spiritual maturity, shirts, we haven't told people to do anything other than, you know, become a Christian, follow Jesus, but we don't tell them what following Jesus looks like. And so then the church is full of a bunch of hypocrites if we don't get to the, to the depth of the matter. Our goal is to get past childhood Christianity and, and to raise mature Christians and to grow up. And so sometimes... If the church is doing things right, sometimes the messages are going to be tough to get through, and sometimes they're going to be deep. Um, and so today, I would say this is one of those deep ones. Today, I would say up front, this is for the Christian. Um, now, if you're not a Christian, this may go over your head. That's okay. Um, I... I enjoyed school. I actually was one of those kids that enjoyed school and college. And I enjoyed when something went over my head because I would reach for it. And that's how I became a better student. Um, if I didn't understand a subject, I enjoyed the challenge of, you know, uh, frankly, the subject is supposed to be over your head. Um, if in the sense that when, when my math teacher taught me something new, when my math teacher taught me algebra, I didn't know algebra before my math teacher taught it to me. If I could figure out algebra on my own, I don't need a math teacher, right? The church is like that. There are going to be times when the message is mature and we have to reach for it. And that's a good thing. That's how we grow. That's how we learn. If you're not a believer, well, then other things in this service probably don't make a lot of sense either. Singing praises to a God if you don't believe in him. Again, if you're not a believer, we're glad you're here. I want to be very clear on that, and I hope you keep coming back. But there are other things like communion that may not make sense. And so if the sermon occasionally, you kind of scratch your head, that, it's, it's a goal. We want, we want to get there. Um, Francis, Francis Schaeffer says, you know, asks the question in one of my favorite Christian books. Uh, you know, he, he, he's got a series of books. They put them in kind of an order. And the first book in the series, The God Who Is There. And he wants to tell you there is a God who is there. But by the time you get to the end of these like 22 books, 
the last book, how should we then live? If there is a God, and if we follow him, and if he's our Savior, what do we, what do, we do with that? And I love that of all the books that they picked for us to study at college, they picked that book. Because if you're at Bible college, all the books on there is a God who is there, those aren't as important, and what do we do with it? And that's what we want to talk about today. And we get to the end of this book of Galatians, and again, I remind people, most of the books of the New Testament, starting with Romans, they're written to Christians. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, here is Jesus. You should follow him. Acts, here is the church. You should join the church. From Romans through Revelation, the rest of the New Testament is, okay, Christians, what do we do with this? And so that's, they're less evangelical. And by that I mean they're less about you should accept the gospel. And they're more about now that you are a saint. That's the word that the Bible uses. Now that you are a saint, what do we do with that? How do we be saints? Um, if, we've, if we're a Christian, how should we live? Now there's a couple that overlook this question. And, and this comes from a couple of wrong ways to view sin and our salvation. One wrong way is that people take, take sin for granted. We were saved, and so it doesn't matter. We can, we can do anything we want to now that God has saved us. Once saved, we're always saved, they say. And, and then they live rotten lives, and it doesn't matter because God saves them. Um, this is why the church of the 21st century has the reputation that it has, Right? Because there are people that say, I'm saved, I can do whatever I want to. God has saved me, there's nothing I can do to jeopardize that. Um, tell evangelists and politicians that say one thing and do something else, may often something reprehensible. We ask why, and the answer is because they don't know how to live as a Christian. And people see that. So that's the one wrong view that is why sin doesn't matter to some people. The other wrong view is is the complete opposite, but it ends us in the same place. They take their salvation for granted. They think it was no big deal to begin with. God didn't save me from all that much. I was a pretty good person. I wasn't that bad. I was better than everybody else around me. And God owes us salvation anyway, so it's not a big deal. We're doing him a favor to show up at church. Where would the church be without me, right? Saved. I was, I was good anyway. I barely needed it to be saved. Both people end up in the same place. Whether you, whether you think that you really didn't need to be saved, so your salvation isn't much, or you think that now that you're saved, maybe you were a terrible sinner, but now that you're saved, you can do whatever you want to because salvation is so big that it doesn't even, you know, that, 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 it, does, that it covers everything that you do. Both end up in the same place that we don't live correctly. Um, the same end result, but two wrong views of salvation. Salvation is a big deal, and so is sin, and it's still a big deal for Christians. We want to become godly, Christ-like, and in doing so, that means we want to get rid of sin out of our lives. That's how we should live. And until we recognize that, we're going to struggle with the Christian life. And so, Galatians, all that preamble for Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. And usually I kind of try to break this up. We're just going to read this in one fell swoop because I can't figure out how to break it up. (laughs) Galatians 5.16, Paul says, So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires 
what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. So our problem, our grief, is what we were, the, the, the work of the flesh. That's the imagery that the Bible uses. We want to be spiritual people, and the Bible contrasts that with the worldly nature, which it calls the fleshly nature. Those, that list of horrible things, um, that's what we are on our own. Left to our own devices, that's what our world ends up with. Ever since the Garden of Eden, mankind is fallen. That's what we say. We were made to be better than this, but this is a fallen world. And the Bible says Satan is the prince of this world. Does that, that makes the world people his citizens. Now somebody will say, well, Jason, that's not my fault, right? I was, uh, if we are sinful by, by nature, if, if God made us and we're not perfect, and God made me imperfect, um, then, then it's unfair to punish me for that. Ah, but we have freedom of choice. Now, temptation is not your fault. Everybody gets tempted. Jesus got tempted in the wilderness. We read about that. Temptation, that's on Satan. But acting on temptation, giving in, oh, that, that's my choice. Sin is always my choice. And somebody's going to say, no, Jason, I'm not strong enough to resist sin. That, but that's my fault if I'm not resisting sin. See, that's, that's because God has given us the greatest of gifts, which is free will. I say the greatest of gifts. Jesus is the greatest of gifts. The second greatest gift is that we can choose him. We have the choice. We have the choice to follow God or not. What an awesome responsibility. And I've been reading... I've always been reading. Uh, as I'm reading through a book, Alexander Dumas, who wrote the, the Three Musketeers, I'm reading through a book that he wrote called The Two Dianas, about a queen and a princess Diana. But really the main character is this count who is torn. Um, he serves the king of France, but he has also, um, he has left the Catholic faith and become a Protestant back in the 1500s. And he's torn between because the Protestants are getting ready to attack King Francis of, of I said I said Spain I meant France King Francis of France and he says to the king if you let me go I'm going to go see my friends the Protestants you need to throw me in the dungeon 
because I'm torn between my choices and I want that choice taken away from me. And the king says, you're a noble, honorable person. I can't do that to you. And, and I kind of, I, I read him, I, I read this character, Count Montgomery, and I feel for him because there are times that God gives me choices and it would be a whole lot easier if he didn't give me choices. <laughs> if he took that responsibility away. Choices mean that I might choose wrong. <laughs> Life is so much easier when we don't have choices. God has given us that responsibility that we can choose to follow him or not. We can choose to sin or not. Every, every time I sin, that was my choice. Um, I can't say the devil made me do it. I can say that he showed me my options. I can't say that the devil made me do it. I might choose poorly, but it's always my choice. That's what it means to be human. Because of sin... I have a fallen nature. And that na- ma- nature may bring temptation before me, but it doesn't bring sin before me. It doesn't, doesn't make me sin. And the example that I use, think, think of that. We, we know what a, they use the phrase crack baby. The mom did drugs. It's in the system. The baby is, is, is born addicted to the mom's drugs and goes through withdrawal. It's not the child's fault. But if the child grows up, and chooses to purchase drugs. You know, they may be predisposed their whole life towards a drug addiction. Some people are born that way. They're, you know, alcoholism runs in family. We're all genetically different. We all have things that affect us differently. My father has an array of allergies, and I've got almost all of his allergies. You know, that's just genetics. The child may grow up having already experienced drugs, a little more predisposed towards a drug addiction, but the choice to buy drugs when that child gets old enough is still on that, that child. Or, or that adult. Um, sin is on us. We choose to act on it. Um, sin is a problem. It's not something that's kind of bad. It's kind of unpleasant. It separates us from God. He hates it. He cannot tolerate it. He will not tolerate it at all. In his presence is only goodness. And that's a problem, isn't it, for us who are sinners? Uh, Heaven is perfect, and there's no sin in heaven. And there never will be sin in heaven. These acts that we read about, they are contrary to the Spirit. It's what Satan wants for you in your life. Uh, the, uh, without the work of... And, and some, of these, you know, some of these we read and say, that's not me, that's terrible. You know, they bring up things that I would never do. But then there's some things like hatred, dissension, selfishness, jealousy. Yeah, that... Some of those hit me pretty hard. Without the work of the Spirit, this is me, and this is where I end up, separated from God. And I'm, I'm not strong enough to always resist. And that's, that, that's correct. But that's where the work of grace comes in. God's grace is in giving us his Spirit. The list of bad things is contrasted by the, the list of sins. It's contrasted by what we call the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits. Not fruits. Not like pick and choose. The fruit of the Spirit are these virtues. This is what the Holy Spirit brings out in, in, in us believers. And we do need His help. Some people, some people try to work on these. I want to be more patient. They really put in the work. I'm, you, know, you know, get cut off in traffic and they bite their... You know, I had a, had a friend in college... I was in his room. He was hanging something up in the wall, and he hit his thumb with a hammer. Um, 
And I'd never heard anybody sing the doxology, praise God from whom all with, with with their teeth gritted, praise God from whom all blessings I thought, I respect this. I really respect uh, uh, the, the effort. And you can put effort into learning patience, and you can, you can put effort in, in, into, these, into these virtues. Um, I, I, I respect that. But honestly, if you're in step with the Spirit, it should come easily already. Now, you're going to say, Jason, I struggle with these. Yeah, you struggle with temptation. Um, uh, that, that's different. Uh, the struggle isn't with these virtues. The struggle is how do, Paul ends this, how do we get in step with the Spirit? If I'm struggling with the, with the fruit of the Spirit, then I'm struggling to be in step with the Spirit. And that is the Christian struggle. Um, can people, and, and, and the proof of this, can people be patient and not be Christian? The answer is sure. Of course they can. Can people be kind without being Christian? Sure, absolutely they can. And so therefore, we see that these aren't the end goal. My goal isn't to be joyful, peaceful, patient, kind. That's not actually the end goal. My goal is to be in step with the Spirit. When I'm in step with the Holy Spirit, these are the fruit. They just come. So if I'm not these things, the problem isn't that I need to try harder to be these things, these, these virtues. The problem is I need to figure out how to be in better step with God's Holy Spirit. This is the fruit we receive from the Spirit working in our lives, the evidence of God's Spirit in our lives. You know, we, the very first of the virtues, love, the Bible says you, you will know. You will know them by their love. Um, can we be loving without God? Yeah. Now, Christ changes our nature. And this is, I think, an important point. When I become Christ-like, I get a new nature. And it's no longer the sinful, worldly nature. And so I do think that Christians who are in step with God, I absolutely believe that Christians who are in step with God through his son, Jesus, these, that it's less of a struggle for Christians to be Joyful, peaceful, kind. Can non-Christians be that? Yeah, but it's not in their nature. The worldly nature is what we were previously given, all those sins. The worldly nature is to be selfish. Can people overcome that? They can, yes, they can, but it's based on self-discipline, right? It's based on trying on their own efforts. But through God's spirit, through his grace, his efforts change me. Um, My nature is when I'm in step with him, is no longer sinful. I have a new nature. That's what the Spirit does in me. A couple of statements I I read. Living by the promptings and power of the Spirit is the key to conquering sinful desires. And another one. Christian character is produced by the Holy Spirit, not by mere moral discipline, and trying to live by the law. You can be disciplined, but you will always, on your own efforts, struggle. Only God can change our actual character, our nature. Um, and, and that takes time. Fruit takes time to grow. Be, allow yourself to be patient with yourself. Nobody goes from not being a Christian to being um, all of, all of these, these virtues, all of this fruit overnight. This is something growing within us.
His grace is the work of the Spirit in our lives. And so our goal is to, how should we then live? Our goal is the work of the believer. Um, the hard part, our role in this, what, what do we do? See, we ask that question because just wanting to be Christ-like isn't enough. It needs to be there. <laughs> it's not going to happen if we don't want it. But we don't just say, boy, I wish I was Christ-like, and then go home and watch TV all day and think that that's going to happen. That takes some effort on our part. And immediately somebody says, wait a second, Jason. I thought that you just said that this was grace, that this is what God is working in our lives. What do you mean it takes some effort on my part? God works in the life of someone who is willing to partner with him. Now, let me be clear on this. It is, on the one hand, it is a partnership. On the other hand, it isn't remotely fair. God does all the bulk of the effort, okay? Um, God's effort is huge. My effort is tiny. God's effort is essential. Mine is almost more a courtesy to me than anything else. But it's a courtesy that God offers. God doesn't save me against my will. You can't save yourself. Your efforts will never get you saved. You can't earn God's love. You can't earn his forgiveness. You can't earn the reward of heaven. Um, You'll never be good enough, but you can still please God. And this is what the New Testament, this is what starting with Romans to the end, this is what the point of Romans is about. Christians, how do we please God? How do, now that we've accepted Christ as our Savior, Matthew through John, and joined the church, Acts, what do we do with that? Now that how, how do we be the church? How do we please God? Once we've accepted him as Savior, we can, we can please God. And then we might even have to ask ourselves that question, why? Why does it matter? Um, because if we've already earned salvation, why do we care? Um, because if we really want, if, if, if we're really Christians, we love God. And if we're really Christians and God says, I want you to act like it, if we love him, that, that matters. Uh, we have the freedom to live any way that we want to. And again, that's good news. Freedom. Freedom is that responsibility. It'd be a whole lot easier if somebody threw me in a dungeon and took away my choices. But God doesn't work that way. We can live a life that pleases God or we can choose to not do that, to stay at home and watch TV, never pray, never read our Bible. Well, I'm not getting in trouble with the law. I'm not in jail, so I must be doing an okay job. But God wants more from us than that. He wants to partner with us in our lives. And he gives us that choice. He doesn't take that choice from us. We choose if we want to walk in step with the Spirit. Satan can't take that away from you, and God won't take it away from you. This is where the crux road, um, the, the crossroad, the, the, you know, where, where, where you have your choice. You're walking down the path and you have the choice. This is the crux of Christianity and where many people get all hung up. We're not saved by our own efforts, but we're not saved by just God's efforts alone. If God loves everybody, John 3.16, based on that, there are some people that say, well, then everybody's going to heaven. That's a terrible reading. That, uni- that universalist view of, of salvation is terrible from the Bible. You have to throw out a lot, an awful lot of scripture. 
So you could become a universalist and believe everybody's going to heaven, but that's not true. So then we say, well, maybe God loves everybody, but he's not powerful enough to save everybody, and that's why some people are going to hell. That's a terrible view, isn't it, that God is not all-powerful? So some people struggle through those things. Well, God's all-powerful, but not everybody's going to heaven, even though he loves everybody. So God has micromanaged everything, and, before, and he's decided these people are going to be saved, and these people are not going to be saved, and it's through no, you know, God is, God is in control, and that's just his, that's his arbitrary, I might use the word capricious decision. There are a lot of churches out there that frankly teach that. They don't phrase it that way, but it is what they believe because the alternative to them is too terrifying, honestly. And the terrifying bit is God wants to save you, and he's reaching out his hand to save you, and you can choose to take his hand. And, and that's scary, <laughs> Because it means those that aren't saved are the ones who didn't reach back. And those, those and, and again, he does all that work. Ima- imagine, well, I can use superheroes, can't I? I usually do. The Incredible Hulk. You guys know who that is, right? Lou Ferrigno. And, huge guy reaching out for somebody scrawny. Ant-Man, he's had three movies now, I can say. The Incredible Hulk is much stronger than Ant-Man. But if Ant-Man doesn't reach back, we're, we're the little ant. We're the little guy. God is huge. God is so powerful. He can save us, but he lets us reach back. That's the painting on the top of the Sistine Chapel, isn't it? Michelangelo, I think it was his name, Michelangelo, made that amazing painting that you've all, surely you've all seen, God reaching out to Adam, and Adam not really caring enough. Adam could grab God's hand if he put in a little more effort. It's good theology. God has put in all the effort, but it still requires us to, to reach out to him. That's up to us. We're not saved by our own efforts or by God's alone. God won't save you if you don't want to be saved. He loves you so much. If you want nothing to do with him, he will honor that. Believing in God, the Bible never, recomm- the Bible never commends that. Believing in God. What we're called to do is follow Christ. We're called to obey him. Um, you know, James says demons believe in God. That's the only comment we've really got on believing in God. But that's compared with Abraham who believed God, not believed in God. Abraham walked with God, offered up his son Isaac as a sacrifice, you know, as, as a test of his faith. We are called to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The theological term synergy, synergism, working with each other. Can't save ourselves, but God doesn't save us against our will. Um, our hymn of invitation today is hymn number 458, Fill My Cup. How should we live? We should live a life that pleases God. If you haven't chosen to follow God, I definitely want to talk with you after church. Um, if you have chosen him, but you would say your life doesn't please him, I want to, let's talk about that. Let's talk about what that next step would look like in, in your life. This isn't a game. Everybody's walk with Christ is going to be a little different from everybody else's, uh, and, and that's good. But we all know what we're called to avoid, and we all know what we're called to be, love, joy, peace. This isn't, this isn't a buffet. I'll take a little of it. The fruit of the Spirit are all supposed to be there in our life as we follow Christ. If, if you're struggling with that, I would love to talk with you about what that looks like. Thank you.
Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristalkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.